Grab your copy of Scripture. Open to Luke chapter 12. Luke 12, if you don't have a Bible, you can just grab that uh, hardback Bible in the pew rack in front of you. Turn to page 1200. You'll find Luke 12. We are, uh, we've been looking at this uh, teaching that Jesus begins in uh, Luke 12 that runs on into Luke 13. And Jesus is... Uh, the master teacher, and he's taken us through this sequence of events and teachings. And, you know, as I've uh, preached through this chapter, one of the things that uh, has come to the forefront of my mind is that I hope that you are able to see the way that all of these things fit together, that every week um, it's, a, it's a continuous teaching. And it makes me wish that I could have just had one four-hour sermon and just done the whole chapter, but that probably wouldn't work too well. So we'll break it up into into four different sermons. Luke chapter 12, we're going to be, begin reading at verse 35. Verse 35. The Word of God says, Jesus says, let your waist be girded and your lamps burning, and you yourselves be like men who wait for their master. When he will return from a wedding, that when he comes and knocks, that the door may be opened immediately. Blessed are those servants whom the master, when he comes, will find watching. Assuredly, I say to you that he will gird himself and have have them sit down to eat, and he will come and serve them. And if he should come in the second watch or come even in the third watch and find them, blessed are those servants." But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at the hour you do not expect. Then Peter said to him, Lord, do you speak this parable only to us or to all people? And the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and wise steward? whom his master will make ruler over his household to give them their portion of food in due season. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will make him ruler over all that he has. But if that servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and to be drunk, The master of that servant will come on that day when he is looking for him and at the hour when he is not aware and will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with unbelievers. And that servant who knew his master's will and did not prepare himself or do according to his will shall be beaten with many stripes. But he who did not know yet committed things deserving of stripes shall be beaten with few. For everyone to whom much is given... For him much is required, and to whom much has been committed of him, they will ask the more. Let's pray. Father, we come before this passage of Scripture, Lord God. And Father, we, we recognize that this is you speaking. And Lord God, we hear the intensity of your words. And Father, I pray as your people, we would humble ourselves and that, Lord God, you'd speak to us today. Father, give us ears to hear and hearts to receive that we might be transformed by what you say to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So Jesus has transitioned from this discussion of money and worrying now into uh, sort of 
what it is we need to be doing. Uh, rather than sitting around worrying about things that are beyond our control or hoarding all of our possessions for our own uh, benefit and enjoyment, Jesus now begins this instruction. And remember, here as He's teaching, there are literally tens of thousands of people pressing in around to try to hear everything that Jesus is saying. And He sort of separated out and began speaking to this group that he calls the disciples. Now, this is much broader. This is disciples with a small d, much broader than, than just the 12 or even the 72. But this is the individuals that are seeking after Jesus, the people who are there to, to hear what he has to say. And so he begins to address these people. And really, as we come to this passage of Scripture, my prayer for us this morning is that we would just almost pull a chair up gather around the master teacher and let Jesus begin to teach us and explain to us the way in which we need to be living our lives, the things we need to be busy doing and that which we don't. So Jesus is going to begin. Really, this is it's like three parables all tied into one. Most of the translations that you have probably have this as one section or pericope of Scripture. It's really... Uh, it's, it's really three different images all woven together. So we will look at these various things as we break it down and go through. First, I want you to see how Jesus is going to give us information through this command. Look at verse 35. Look at the command. He says, Let your waist be girded and your lamps burning, and you yourselves be like men who wait for their master when he will return from a wedding, that when he comes and knocks, they may open to him immediately. Now, Jesus is teaching us as His people. He's speaking to disciples and He's saying, you need to be about readiness. You need to be watching for the Master to return. Like servants who are eagerly awaiting the return of their Master, we need to be busy, eagerly awaiting the return of our Master. Now, it's interesting, some things I want you to see here about waiting and about being ready, and about what a faithful servant would be doing. I want you to notice, first of all, that waiting is active and not passive. In other words, some people might think that waiting is, you know, leaning back in the easy chair and just clicking the remote, waiting for the master to come home. When, in fact, look at the description that the Lord gives. He says, first of all, The readiness is going to be described by having your waist girded. In other words, having your your cloak pulled up. You're ready for action. You're ready to move. You don't have to... You're dressed for work. You're not sitting around in your PJs uh, just loafing off so that when the master comes, you have to change and take a shower and fix your hair and do this and that. But you are ready to go. The other thing is, is that there's activity involved in this in the sense that that you have a lamp and it's burning. Now, I think what's interesting about this is that both of these two things are visible images. In other words, there's nothing secretive or camouflaged about a servant who is ready for action. In other words, you can walk into a room and see a room filled with servants and you would immediately be able to pick out those who are ready and those who are not. Those who are waiting correctly and those who are not. Simply by their appearance and their activity. They would be dressed and ready to go and they would be doing something. They would have their lamps burning. They would be ready so that if the master comes back in the dark, they could see. They were ready to go. 
Now, this establishes right off the bat in Jesus' teaching that proper waiting is physically observable, which comes against some of the things that are going to go come forth in the rest of this passage because some of you are going to push back and you're going to you're going to tell yourself well I'm waiting and so I just want to start by saying Jesus is saying if you're waiting it ought to be obvious Amen The second thing about waiting is this it's not laborious Waiting is not is not a chore. Waiting is not something that's begrudged. Waiting is not punishment. There's no mention in this text about straining or complaining with waiting. You see, one of the things I thought about is I'm not a really good waiter. In fact, I don't mean like bringing food to the table. I mean waiting for anything. I get a little impatient. I don't really like waiting. I don't like long lines. It seems like I don't know why, but whatever line I get into... The person in front of me always has 10,000 problems. Always. I don't care what I do. So now my latest thing is like I pick a line, then switch. Because I know my first instinct is wrong every time. So if you see me in a store and go, what is he doing? You know what I'm doing. Amen. I hate to wait. But we don't see here... This, some straining or complaining about waiting. It's clear that there's a sense of anticipation, that there's some excitement. Notice that Jesus says, well, when the master comes and knocks, immediately the doors open. So they're, they're not just waiting and, and physically observable, dressed for action with their lamps burning, but they're anticipating, they're excited, there's some, there's some real energy in the room as they're waiting. They want to see their master. And notice that their master is not away for some distressing reasons. You notice that the master's not away because uh, he has to go pay us taxes. The master's not away because he's been uh, seeking help from a physician. But the master's been away at a wedding. In other words, there's anticipation to see the master. And there's also this imagery that the master has been away at something good. You see, Jesus gives us every detail for a reason. He, he paints such a beautiful tapestry in his words. Remember John 14, the Bible says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. If I go to prepare a place for you, then I will return again and receive you unto myself. In other words, God's gone, but He's gone to a good place to do a good work. And we ought to be excited about where He is and what He's doing and His return. There should be some anticipation about this waiting. We shouldn't be sad and moaning and complaining about waiting. We ought to be excited about who we're waiting for and what He's doing while we wait. So there's this command, this information. Then we see there's a celebration. Look at verse 37. Blessed are those servants whom the master, when he comes, will find watching. Assuredly, I say that he will gird himself and have them sit down and eat, and I will come and serve them. And if he should come in, the second watch or the third watch, and find them so, blessed are those servants. Now this is 
interesting that Jesus begins to sort of change and, and begin to say that now these blessed servants are going to actually be served. John 13, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into His hand and that He had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper and laid aside His garments, took a towel and girded Himself. And after that, He poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel with which He was girded. In other words, there's a picture in John 13 in the upper room of Jesus serving His disciples. Just a little glimpse into the future of what might be to come. And now Jesus says that these servants that He's talking about are actually going to be ushered in and they're going to be served by the Master. You see, Jesus is consistently trying to to let the good news out. He's trying to get people to realize the excitement that we ought to have about what is going to happen in the future. And he's, he's painting a picture over and over in various different ways that when he returns, those who are his servants, those who are faithful, they are going to be extremely blessed. It, it, this picture of Jesus washing the disciples' feet, it just symbolizes the humility of Jesus, the Savior, to leave heaven, to come to earth, and to serve, to seek and to save that which is lost, and to serve, to serve and to wash away the sins of His people. And so again, we see a picture in this parable of the Master serving the servants. Notice that the, the Bible says, blessed are these servants, that, that these servants are blessed. Revelation 19 says, as I heard, John says, as it were, the voice of a great multitude as the sound of many waters, as the sound of a mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, or praise the Lord for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give Him glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come. You see this, this marriage supper, this feast that we're going to be ushered into and His wife, the bride, has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. And then listen, he says, Then he said to me, right, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. You see the picture of Scripture that when, when the Master returns, there's going to be some servants who are faithful, who are ready for His return, who are anticipating the coming of their Master who's been away doing a good thing and He's going to usher them in to the marriage supper of the Lamb where He's going to serve them, where His people are going to feast at this banquet of, of unbelievable bounty and blessings. I mean, Jesus... Imagine, he's on a hillside. He's, he's speaking these words to people who are really hearing this and understanding this for the, for the very first time, trying to figure out what on earth is he talking about? But, but from where we sit today, according to what you have in your hands, this is an amazing, unbelievable truth. This ought to make our hearts leap with joy. This celebration that awaits His chosen people. But there's also a caution. Look at verse 39. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, 
He would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Now, notice that Jesus shifted from Master to Son of Man. Now Jesus is bringing home what he's trying to teach. He started letting us into the imagery of what's going on. And he's, he's saying that there's this image of a thief coming. And notice the apostles who hear this, this is burned into their hearts. Because the rest of the New Testament continually gives testimony to this very image. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5, For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. Same imagery. Revelation 16, John says, Jesus uh, says, Behold, I am coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he be naked and they see his shame. So there's this imagery of the master or the son of man coming back as a thief in the night at this unexpected hour when no one is really knowledgeable about when that will be, that we're not to notice none of the servants are to be sitting around sort of running algorithms and trying to calculate when that time may be. But our time is better spent being about the father's Business. Now, I did some some research, and here's what I found. I found that there's been approximately 750,000 days since the Lord was raised from the dead. That's a lot of days. And so you think, well now, well when is it going to be? Well, I don't know, but we're 750,000 days closer than we were then. And we're moving in the right direction. I don't know when it's going to be, but I know it's going to be. And so the point is, is that when it comes, when that moment comes, when the Lord returns, it's going to be like a thief in the night. It's going to be unexpected. You see, CNN's not going to be there with their camera set up to broadcast it. The political leaders aren't going to be prepared. The, the Congress isn't going to know about it. The false religions won't be prepared. And sadly... Many of the people in the church are not going to be prepared. They're going to be doing things other than what they ought to be doing. And that's exactly what Jesus is subtly drawing our attention to right here in this passage. Notice what he says. Read it again. Verse 39. That if the master of the house had known the hour the thief would come, then he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Now, isn't that interesting? Because it sounds kind of ridiculous. It sounds kind of funny. Like, well, duh. I mean, it's not like the thief's going to call you up and say, hey, would seven, seven o'clock tonight be a good time to rob you? I mean, that's not going to work. So we know that a thief by nature, unless he's a caught thief, is a thief that comes at an unexpected time, right? But this, this statement about This particular person, knowing if he had known, he would have done the right thing. Why does Jesus say that? Because he's a hypocrite. That's why. You see, there's empty devotion here. What Jesus is trying to draw your attention to is that this person is an outright denying the authority of the master. This person doesn't say, I don't really care about the master. I'm not going to protect the house. I'm not going to worry about it. They can rob it all they want to. It's really not my problem. That's not what we have here. 
What we have here is a hypocrite. We have somebody here who really, you know, claims to be the servant that they ought to be. And if they knew when to do what they're supposed to do, they would do it. But if no one's looking, they're going to do whatever they want to do. You see, what about the people that, that dress up and come to church on Sundays, but the rest of the week they act like Jesus is on vacation? What about, what about the people who sit in the pew week after week after week, but they live a double life? You see, the faithful will be ready. The faithful servant does the right thing regardless of whether or not he knows when the thief is coming. He does the right thing because it's the right thing. And so Jesus sort of weaves this picture of hypocrisy in here so that we can all see that it's not just servants who just deny. Because I think this passage, apart from that statement would leave a gaping hole for most people to just rush right through and say, well, that's not talking about me. But in reality, it is. Well, what is a... The faithful servant will be ready. Well, what what will the faithful servant be doing? Well, Titus 2 says that the faithful faithful will be looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of, of, of the great God, our Savior, Jesus Christ. That they'll be looking, that their blessed hope, you see, they'll be excited, there'll be some anticipation. And they know that, that He's coming at, at any time and that there's no way to know when that time will be. And so they're just ready. But Jesus has to give application to this. He needs to bring this home a little bit and give us some, some closer understanding as to what He's teaching us here. So let's see how He defines these these two groups of people, the faithful and the unfaithful. First of all, we're going to see that uh, faithfulness during his absence, those who are faithful while he's away, that that will result in great reward at his appearance. Notice what he says in verse 41. Then Peter said to him, Lord, do you speak this parable to us or to all the people? See, Peter is everybody in the crowd's best friend. Because they're all wondering the same thing. Many of you in here are wondering the same thing. Exactly who is Jesus talking to? But Peter's the only one who has the courage to raise his hand and ask. Because he's not afraid. He's always got something to say. So he says, Lord, who exactly do you mean? Explain this to us. Which we should be very grateful to because then the Lord is going to give explanation. Verse 42, and the Lord said... Who then is that faithful and wise steward whom his master will make ruler over his household to give them their portion of food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you that he will make him ruler over all that he has. Peter says in Second Peter chapter 3, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up since everything will be destroyed. Notice what Peter says. Since everything that will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives. You know where Peter learned that? 
right there in Luke chapter 12. That's where Peter learned that truth that he then teaches again in 2 Peter chapter 3. Jesus is teaching that the people who are faithful are the people who are living the lives that God called them to live. You see, we know what faithfulness means in a general definition of life. We all get that. You see, if I were having a conversation to you about anything other than the Lord, faithfulness would never come into question. But as soon as we bring Jesus into this, then faithfulness gets all blurry. Because we're always trying to find loopholes of things. We're always trying to figure out what's the least I can do that'll just be enough. Or how can I just squeeze by or just, you know, get in barely. And so Jesus says, well, let me just break it down for you. It's going to be those who live holy and godly lives. It's going to be those who are doing the things that they ought to be doing. Now, notice notice the, the what the reward is to the faithful. And G, he keeps repeating the same truth throughout the book of Luke. In verse 44, he says, I say to you that he will make him ruler over all that he has. Now, does that seem like a lot to you? All that he has, that this this master is going to place all that he has authority over in the hands of those who are faithful servants. Didn't he just tell us that? Didn't we just read that last week in verse 32 of Luke 12? Do not fear, little flock, for it's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom, the whole kingdom, all that he has. There it is, right there for you. You and I, if we're found faithful at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, He's going to make us rulers over all He has. Over all He has. He's not stingy. He doesn't hold back. He gives all. And then He serves. He invites us into this banquet feast and and He will serve. All of these images Jesus is laying out to people who are trying to wrap their head around what He's saying and who it is that's speaking. But then he defines the other side. Look at verse 45. But if that servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming, and he begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and be drunk, the master of that servant will come on the day when he is not looking for him and at an hour when he is not aware and will cut him in two and appoint him his portion among the unbelievers. Ouch. Jesus says that faithlessness during his absence is going to result in great rebuke and punishment at his appearance. Now, this unfaithful servant is operating much like we've all seen people operate in the church and out of the church. Let me give you some some things about what Jesus says that really just fall right in line with what we see today, what has always been true of people. These false assumptions. The first false assumption that Jesus draws our attention to is that this unfaithful servant thinks he won't get caught. Notice what the Bible says in verse 45. But if that servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming. In other words... The unfaithful servant says, oh, he's not coming today. Today we can just do whatever we want to do because it'll be okay today. And notice where he says what he says. What tells him that the servant's not coming? His heart. 
You see, he, he's just allowing his own affections and his own desires to lead him. And he just believes it. He just says, well, that's what I feel, so it must be true. So I don't think I'm going to get caught. Well, isn't that interesting? Isn't it interesting how people can just come up with these beliefs that are just born strictly out of denial of the reality of the truth? He says in his heart, you know the thing about denial? Denial never changes reality, does it? No. You see, you can convince yourself of anything. You can convince yourself that Jesus isn't coming back today all you want, but it has no bearing on what's actually going to happen. The question is, what is the truth? And you see, Jesus is bringing us logically each week to say, you better understand the facts first and then let everything else follow or you're going to get wrapped up in your emotions and you're going to get led astray and you're going to be ate up with worry and you're going to be overwhelmed with anxiousness and you're going to be an unprepared, unfaithful servant because you're worried about what you feel other than what he says. You see, I want to feel and I want you to feel, but I want our feelings to be based on facts. I don't want people living their life based on how they feel. That is going to be a catastrophe. And this unfaithful servant, he's just living in denial. Oh, it's okay. I won't get caught. Jeremiah 7 says this. The Lord says, will you steal and murder and commit adultery and swear falsely? Will you burn incense to Baal and follow other gods that you have not known? And then come and stand before me in this house which bears my name and say, we are safe. Do you see what that says? I wonder how many times that happens in here. I wonder how many times people in denial walk into God's house, sing songs with their lips, open their Bibles, try to follow along with a sermon. After all week long, you have lived according to your own desires, your own whimsical heart's affections. You've gone off and done whatever you've wanted to do. And then suddenly, because you think that the day of the Lord is Sunday, you show up here as if everything were fine. As if somehow God doesn't really know what's going on. I mean, that's the amazing thing about denial. It's that you can convince yourself that there is a God. You can say, I do believe in Him. That He is an all-powerful God who reigns over the universe. But He doesn't know what I'm doing in secret. When the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4... There is no creature hidden from his sight and all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Everything, everything, every thought, every intention, it's all there. He knows. Why do we believe that we're not going to get caught? And the thing about getting caught is this. Then when we do, we fear man more than God. Listen, I'm not your judge. The person sitting to the left of you or the right of you is not your judge. The one who's your judge already knows. You need to respond to the facts. False assumption number two. Well, there must not, there's really not going to be any judgment. I mean, I'm better than most people. I mean, I'm doing a pretty good job. I'm not a serial killer. I know plenty of people that are doing what I'm doing. And we find comfort in that. Notice what the Bible says. My master is delaying in his coming. So he, therefore he begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and be drunk. Interesting. 
So he abuses the trust of the master by taking advantage of the master's people. That's interesting to me. Not just the men, but the men and the women. So it's interesting to me that Jesus draws this. Well, what is he trying to tell us here? That this, this denial, this false assumption that there's not going to be judgment, it leads this unfaithful servant to take advantage of God's people. To, to take advantage of his possession. Because the master owns the servants. But this unfaithful servant is taking advantage of the other servants around him. And not only that, he's just eating and drinking. In other words, he's using all of the resources of the kingdom for his own pleasure. You see, didn't Jesus just deal with this at the beginning of the chapter when he talked to us about our, our possessions and that we're not to be greedy? And yet again, he's bringing this imagery back in that here's a picture of unfaithfulness. You take advantage of other people. You berate, you see this, this word to beat the male servants and the female servants? That, that doesn't have to be physical. That can be verbally. That can be through gossip. That can be through slander. That can be through complaining or griping or misleading or lying or, and, and just using the resources of the master as if, well, there's not going to be any judgment, you see? And so the trust is violated. You've been entrusted to take care of something, but you violated the trust. And now you're abusing the lives of other people around you. Here's what Luke will say in Luke 21. Take heed to yourselves, the Lord says, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing and drunkenness and the cares of this life. And that day will come on you unexpectedly. For it will come as a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. That God's saying, listen, there's going to be a judgment. The justice is going to occur. And when it does, it's going to be too late to start asking questions. That your hypocrisy is going to be exposed. That your selfishness and your greed is going to be exposed. That everything is going to be laid out on the table. And there will be no talking by you and me. Only the judge will be doing the talking. And so, what the question before us is, are we being faithful? And if we're not, then what is the lie that we're believing? Because it may be the lie that I won't get caught. It may be the lie that there's not going to be any judgment. Or it may be the lie that I can always wait till tomorrow. The lie that says, well, I can just, I can just wait till tomorrow. It'll be okay. You see, that's why the Bible says that we're to, we're to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. That we need to, we need to address the issue of our standing before God. That it's not something that you can just push aside. It's not something you can just worry about later. Because when Jesus returns, the truth about each and every one of us is going to be bare, right there. There's no hiding. It's going to be revealed. Every imposter is going to be exposed in that moment. And so that ought to put a little fear and trembling in our hearts for good. It's good for us to respond and to say, God, God, I want to be right with you. I want to, I want you to find me ready for your return. But you see, we think, oh, I can just wait till tomorrow. You see, notice the Bible says in verse 46 that the master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him. 
See, he's not looking for him. It's, it's, it's not a day or a time that he's expecting his master to come back. Therefore, he's putting it off. He's saying, you know, right now, I just want to live my life. You know, and there's people that I'm in charge of that I can take advantage of. And there's resources here that I've got, you know, and so I've got all these things and I just want to enjoy my life and do what I want to do. And that's fine. That's fine. You know, that nowhere in here does Jesus say, and that, and that unfaithful servant will be restrained from his unfaithfulness. No. That's your choice. If that's what you want to do, that's your choice. The concern in Jesus' mind at this time, the concern in, in my mind at this time, is that you know the truth. You have to deal with the truth. You have to make decisions based on the truth. Not on false assumptions about, oh, well, maybe tomorrow will be there, or maybe, maybe I can do this then, or come up with your own little plan as if somehow you're the sovereign of the universe. You see, every life has a beginning and every life has an end. And when you start asking questions like, did I use the life that God gave me in the most meaningful way? You, you begin to realize really how fragile this life is. You begin to realize that you really aren't sort of in command. And you start asking questions that, that, that force you to ponder, there really is someone bigger than I. And there really is a mission and a plan that, that I'm supposed to be about. And so do I really believe the things I say I believe? In other words, because if I believe them, then I will respond in accordance with them. But if I just say that I believe them, but I do other things, then it's really unbelief. And you see, I'll just wait till tomorrow. I mean, I hear people say this to me every week in a multitude of different ways. They say things to me like, I'm just not happy. I just don't like it. It's just not what I see for myself. It's just not... And, and I'm, I'm always hearing these, the same thing that's consistent in all these statements is, I... Well, what happened to God? What does God want? What does God say? And then I read them scripture and then they respond to me with how they feel. And I read them scripture and we play volleyball this way. And it goes back and forth until one of us just gets exhausted. And around and around we go. Okay, you don't like it. Okay, it's not what you think. Okay, it wasn't what you expected. Okay. But what does God say? That's all that matters. Amen. That's it. If we start running around based on what we think and what we feel, this is what's going to happen to us. See, in verse 47, Jesus just turns the corner and he just drives this point home with these simple statements. He says, that servant who knew his master's will and did not prepare himself or do according to his will shall be beaten with many stripes. But he who did not know yet committed things deserving of stripes shall be beaten with few. For everyone to whom much is given, from him much is required. And to whom much has been committed of him, they will ask the more. See, Jesus is sort of completing what he's explaining in the answer to Peter's question. He's saying, Peter... Here's how this is going to work. That 
the Son of Man is going to come back. You can count on it. And when He comes back, there's going to be faithful servants and there's going to be unfaithful servants. But within those two categories, there's going to be a, a, a diversity of punishments and responses, but there's still only two categories. And within that, he's trying to get Peter to consider what we here this morning really need to consider about this truth. And that is this, that Jesus is saying that of the servants who are found unfaithful, because when he shows up like a thief in the night, and there you are, Sir, as your kids are asleep upstairs in their bed, as your wife lies alone, sleeping in the bed, there you are, sitting in front of your computer, looking at pornography. Like a thief in the night. Ma'am, where are you? Where are you when... When you're gossiping about other people, when you're uh, belittling your husband because he doesn't do the things you ought to do, when you're making statements like, because he's not, I have to be, even though the Bible doesn't command that anywhere, when you've just decided that you're going to do things your own way. And what happens when God returns? Like a thief in the night. Right in the middle of that rated R movie. Right in the middle of whatever it is that we're doing. The question is, what are you doing? Where are you? What's going on in your life? What is the, what is the general activity that you devote yourself to? Here's what Jesus is saying in 47 and 48. He's saying that there are those in this category of unfaithfulness, and, and they've, they've heard a lot more than the others. See, he says here that, that they, they knew the Master's will, but then they didn't prepare. See, they've heard more. They've lived longer. They grew up in the Bible Belt. See, their grandmother read them Scripture every day. She prayed for them continuously. They were drugged to church as kids. They've sat there in church Sunday after Sunday pretending to be something that they're not. Disguising themselves under the false assumption that really all that matters is what the people in this room see and what we think. And that your little secret is your little secret. It's those who have been afforded every opportunity to respond and said, no. No, I'm, I'm, I'm too busy. No, I'm, I'm living the American dream. No, I've got my own agenda. No, I've, I've, got, I've got my kingdom to build right now. I don't have time for that. You know, there's really no way for me to teach this passage and it not be hard. It's hard. But you know what? as I prayed for you this week and prayed that God would give you ears to hear what the Lord would have us to say. 
I thought about how intensely I might teach this passage of Scripture if my son had died for you to have the opportunity to hear it. You see, he's earned the right to get up into your face and to say, here's the reality of what's happening. I am coming back. What are you doing? Whose kingdom are you building? What, what is consuming your affection? What are the things that you are spending your time and your energy and your money on? Ask yourself this question, parents. Just look back over the last week of your life and say, what have my children spent the majority of their time doing? And is that what is most important in light of eternity? You know, it's strange. I've never, ever heard anyone say certain phrases to me. Phrases like, "Oh, well, Pastor, my kids... They, they never have time to watch any television. Me and my family, we never, we never have time to do that. We, we never have time to make it to ball practices and to all the things we have to do. We, we never have time for that. I've never heard a parent say to me, although I know it's true, but I've never heard anybody confess it. And they just they'll look me dead in the eye and say, you know what? We just don't have time for homework. We don't have time. If I had a nickel... If I had a nickel for every parent that just didn't have time to study the Bible, to teach their children, to pray together as a family, to whatever the case may be, to give the Lord your time. What kingdom are we building? Really, what kingdom are we building? Whatever you're soaking your life in, I pray that it's about His business because He is coming back. And it may be today. And I hope and pray that He will find us eagerly anticipating the celebration that awaits those who are His. So if you don't know Him this morning, will you just lay aside, We just lay aside all anything that has to do with anyone other than you and the Lord. And just consider, consider in light of all that God has said, in light of all the things throughout Scripture that have been played out in the media in these days that have just over and over confirming again and again exactly what Scripture says. He's coming back. You better be Ready, because it's going to happen like a thief in the night. So will you gird yourself up and light your lamp and wait for your master to come? And as soon as he knocks, let's fling the door open and receive the blessing of our Lord. Let's stand. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word, God. We're grateful for your promise. And Lord, as your people... We celebrate in the reality of what you've told us this morning, God. Father God, we thank you that the last thing you said at the end of Revelation is, Surely I come quickly. Lord God, 
Will you come today? Father God, will you crack the sky open? Lord God, would you show a hundred million people around the world what the real Super Bowl looks like, Lord God? Will you just take this world by storm, Lord God? Come back and receive your people. Find us faithful and waiting and hoping in you, Lord. Father God, that you're going to come and we're going to be with you and dine with you. And Oh God, please, please, Lord. Will you help us, Father, to lay aside our foolishness? To lay aside what our, what our false assumptions are and our denial and face the reality that you always do what you say you're going to do. And Lord God, one of those things you say you're going to do is you'll save any person who will respond to you in faith. And so, Lord God, just as you're going to come back, if there's anyone here this morning who doesn't know you, no matter what they've done, no matter how far they feel they've gone, no matter how long it's been, how short it's been, Lord God, no matter what, you'll save them today if they'll respond to you in faith. So, Lord God, would you you save somebody here today? Lord God, give them the courage to step out in you. And Lord, as we... As we come, many of us will come to this altar and pray for people in our families that don't know you. And our heart is broken over those situations, Lord God. Thank you that you'll meet us here and you'll you'll comfort us, Lord, and reassure us that you're always good and always true and faithful. Lord, do in this time what only you can do for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.